We always have so many things to tell our audience about here at Intelligence Squared, so when I'm needing a top-down view of it all, I don't want to feel like I'm looking at organised chaos. That's why I really love Notion, which lays out different threads of work in a beautifully designed layout, and despite all of its clever AI tech going on in the background, it feels as clear and easy as putting pen to paper. Remember that? But with Notion, you can do a lot more than jot down a few thoughts. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. And thanks to its AI-powered model, the way it works is so intuitive, every question has an answer. I still love my paper notebook, but sitting next to Notion, it might need to up its game a little bit. Try Notion for free and up your game too when you go to notion.com slash squared. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash squared, lowercase. So you can start turning ideas into action. And when you use the link, you're supporting a Intelligence Squared 2. That's Notion.com slash squared. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hello and welcome to Intelligence Squared. I'm senior producer Connor Boyle. Today we're learning about the history of one of the most universal human gestures of communication found throughout the world. The handshake. Paleoanthropologist Ella El-Shamahi joins science broadcaster and author Helen Chersky to discuss her book, The Handshake, A Gripping History. The discussion originally aired in April 2021. If you'd like to hear the episode ad-free and support our mission to foster honest debate and compelling conversations, head to intelligencesquared.com membership or subscribe to our channel on Apple. Now let's join Helen Chersky with more. Hello, I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Ella Al-Shamahi. She is a National Geographic explorer, TV presenter, stand-up comedian, and very importantly for our discussion today, she is the author of this new book called The Handshake, A Gripping History, which is a very good pun. Well done to whoever thought that up. Now, obviously, if it was 2019, we would be in person, we would have started with a handshake, but there are none of those today, which seems like a particular shame for this uh, for this interview. And um, so, Ella, tell us a little bit, first of all, about how you got into this topic. So some people actually think I'm clairvoyant and I just started writing a book about the handshake you know, a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then just very conveniently, uh, a global pandemic happened. The pandemic was happening, it was getting underway, and there was a lot going on, a lot of people saying a lot of things about the handshake that I just I just wasn't buying or I just knew to be factually incorrect. Uh, and it, it almost felt like maybe five journalists have been pressing their editors for the last God knows how many years to, to let them write a book kind of decrying and... and basically poo-pooing the handshake and their editors have always been had always been saying to them no no you can't do it can't do it. it's not relevant blah, blah blah and suddenly they had their moment because suddenly there was just this dead of like articles basically saying it was they everybody hated the handshake apparently and I just thought oh, I'm I'm refusing to write the obituary of the handshake instead I, I should write an ode to the handshake and it was it was actually partly instigated by my um by one of my agents I obviously spend a lot of time kind of in the outdoors and traveling and suddenly I was benched you know rightfully so um and uh, kind of sitting there twiddling my thumbs and uh one of my agents was like you know what you're an archaeologist 
I think it'd be a really good idea to write a book on the handshake. And I just started laughing because I thought you have no idea how relevant this topic is to me because also for the first 26 years of my life, I never really shook a man's hand because I followed really strict Muslim law on the issue. Um, and I'm kind of obsessed about this issue for a really long time. So it was kind of, it was all these things kind of worked out. And then it was like, right, well, we're going to have to write it really quickly, <laughs> which is obviously always a challenge at the best of times. But yeah, it's it's kind of, it feels great to to write something about something that people have kind of not really thought about that extensively and for it to feel like it's a moment. So tell us a little bit about your perspective on it, because obviously, you know, you come to this with academic expertise that isn't in handshake specifically, but it is relevant. So, so tell us where you're coming from. Well, I'm, I'm a paleoanthropologist and I'm, you know, interested in evolutionary biology and anthropology kind of generally. There was a number of things that were going on. One was this idea that the handshake was from medieval times. Uh, it was to, to show that you weren't carrying a weapon and uh, and then you know missionaries spread it and I just I wasn't buying the missionaries thing at all and I also wasn't buying the whole medieval thing because I just thought well I work in a lot of hostile territories and actually all you're talking about there is providing access right (laughs) like that I I just know I'm not having that at all and actually one of the interesting things is that the handshake has been used uh, to assassinate a US president President McKinley was killed by somebody coming in pretending to, to to perform a handshake and I was familiar with Dr. Kat Hobater's work. So Dr. Kat Hobater is a primatologist. Now we've known for a long time that chimps shake hands, but we haven't been very clear on the meaning of that. And that's where you know somebody like Kat comes in. And she was able to kind of decipher the meaning of the handshake. And one of the one of the wonderful things is that she she talks about how the handshake it doesn't have a really really precise meaning. It's just kind of very broad, positive meanings that can morph and change a little bit. And that's, again, really fascinating because that's kind of what it means for us. In fact, if you look at ancient Greece, a lot of classicists talk about the handshake and and kind of the handshake motif being used everywhere. And they actually say, yeah, it is kind of ambiguous in terms of its meaning, but it's always positive. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, the chips are shaking hands. We're shaking hands. The bonobos are shaking hands. In terms of evolutionary biology, there's an obvious suggestion for why we would all be shaking hands, uh, and that's an evolutionary one. And then you think, well, our common ancestor lived about seven million years ago. It's not, you know, it, in fact, it's kind of the most obvious thing is to suggest that the handshake is at least seven million years old. And then you think, well, is there a functional reason for the handshake? And then we we know that touch is really important for loads of things, really well documented. But what a lot of people don't realise is that chemo signals, chemical signals are really important amongst humans. Again, there's quite a bit of research that's been done on chemo signals, but chemo signals with regards to the handshake. And one of my I mean, I could just just written this book on chemo signals because it's just ah, oh, it's just delicious. But uh, chemo, there are all these experiments and and some of them involve putting gauze under people's armpits and getting them to watch a scary film or a happy film and then taking that gauze to a different uh, group of participants. And they accurately reflect the kind of the the right micro expressions for that expression on their faces. And there's kind of loads of variations on these studies. But essentially, 
that the bottom line is that chemical signals are important for humans, which of course we don't, I don't know about you, Helen, but that is not something that I would have ever imagined, you know, when I was growing up that I communicate with people chemically. I would have just thought it was by words and actions. Let's dig into some of those things. Let's go, let's pick apart some of those things because the whole load of stuff and you did write a whole book about all of this things. But so let's, but let's go back to, to, to basics a little bit. How do we define a handshake? Because I can imagine that that is quite different for different cultures, for different groups. How do how do bonobos shake hands? How do we shake hands? How what counts as a handshake? Um, so chimps often shake hands with their fingers, sometimes with their feet, which I think is adorable. Um, something we haven't quite got to yet. And in terms of humans, historically, some people have argued that the hand clasp is not the same thing as the handshake. I don't buy that at all. I think I think it's probably the same thing. But the, it's interesting that handshaking appears in, for example, the literature of the British Isles and, and the writings and sources of the British Isles much later than hand clasping. And actually, it's seen as a bit of a Scottish thing, the handshaking. But the, I would say handshaking and hand clasping are probably the same thing. And then there are all these variations on that globally. So I've argued that the the handshake that we see in England or in America is the handshake light. And a lot of other cultures will add things onto them. So, you know, a lot of people will add a hug onto it or a kiss onto it. We're kind of familiar with that. Other cultures add the nose rub onto it. So a number of Gulf Arab states, for example, add a nose rub. There are other uh, cultures where they they sometimes actually there's like a dance that accompanies it. Or my favorite is the Liberian finger snap where you kind of you go in for a handshake and at the end you you literally snap your fingers um, and the louds of the snap. You know, the, the thinking is the louder the snap, the more you're fond of the person. Although, some... that's, that's, that's socially very sensitive, that, especially if perhaps you don't get it right. What if you've got greasy palms or something and it all goes wrong? <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, this is the thing. It took me a really long time to understand how to even do the, the Liberian finger snap. And one of the interesting things about the Liberian finger snap is you started seeing it disappearing during the Ebola um, outbreak. And then it starts coming back again. So there's all these patterns that you kind of would expect to see that, that do pretty much play out. But yeah, there are all these variations on the handshake. And there are some, I guess, that are more extinct, that have become extinct rather in the last hundred years. So uh, my favourite is the um, the penis handshake, which is kind of absolutely magnificent and wonderful, really. It's kind of the variations on it have been practised in a number of different parts of the world. But the I one- imagine they're all warm places. Yeah. It's not something that works when you're covered with many layers of clothing, is it? I assume. <laughs> Yeah, that is actually weirdly, Helen, you're right there. <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, again, if you if you see us as animals, is it weird to think that touching the genitalia is a form of greeting? It isn't. It's just because we see ourselves as being special, as being different from animals, that for us, that's quite shocking. But actually, you know, it, it's kind of part and parcel of us well, being... Dogs are all over that, aren't they? So so we're talking about something which is... So it's, it's a palm to palm. The fingers are holding on a little bit to some extent, depending on where you are. And, and maybe there's, maybe there's a shake. So what, as a greet, is, is, is this normally a greeting? How, how do handshakes, because I guess we're, we're, I mean, one thing that's interesting, I think about your book coming out now is that it's actually a good time to examine the handshake because it's so long since all of us have done it. Mm-hmm. We've all got that little bit of distance. What was it we used? I can't actually remember. What did we do? I can't, you know, there's that, there's this kind of a natural re-examination because we've, we've stopped doing it instinctively. Now, if someone reached your hand out, they'd, they'd run, you'd run away almost. Um, so, so, yeah. So what, um, um, why are these things so important? Let's perhaps start with that. You know, if all these, all these different, people and animals do them what is it about a handshake that's so distinctive 
compared with all the other ways you could greet someone? I don't know. And I don't know if in the book I'm arguing that it's superior to the other forms of touch. I think touch is fundamentally really important in greetings. And I argue that a handshake is a unit touch. And touch is important because of the reasons I mentioned, you know, um, touch is really important in terms of what it does for our hormones. It's really important in terms of chemo signals. And I think probably the gold standard is actually the hug, because if you think about it, you really are taking a sniff of the other person. That's like about as close as you can get. But I think the handshake is brilliant because it's kind of somewhere in a comfortable medium. It's not quite as intimate as, as some of the others. But, you know, you can ask, well, why isn't why isn't it the Liberian finger snap that's in the halls of Whitehall why isn't it the the nose rub of you know the Gulf Arabs or the the forehead and nose touch of of, say the Maori and I think that's partly about cultural power so I think that's partly globalization colonialism and cultural power and I think it's just a toss-up as to which one of them came out on top and and because of those things I, I think that's why it came out on top Is there an aspect of that which is kind of sort of lowest common denominator thing? It's almost like a pigeon, you know, that you've got these people who have made various, you know, they've got a complicated grammar of body, you know, how to how to communicate through touch. And it's this very simple unit. Like there might be all these bells and whistles on top in your own culture, but there's a sort of very basic thing at the bottom. And and that's what that's the bit everybody understands. Possibly. Uh, But then. You know, there are other kinds of touch um, in greetings which have fallen by the wayside now that aren't egalitarian. The, the wonderful thing about the handshake, in, in a similar way to the hug, actually, they are quite egalitarian. So during medieval times in, in, in the UK, for example, there was the there was the greeting where you would put your palms together in between the hands of your master, you know, or whoever was more high up. There was the curtsy, there were the kind of kisses on the hand, but all of them are really hierarchical or gendered. And I don't think it's, any coincidence whatsoever that we saw the handshake rising as democracy and gender equality were rising. So I think it's quite possible that what you're saying is correct, that it's it's just, it's the most basic form of it. But then there are so many other forms of basic touch that it is interesting that this one came out on top. And I think that's probably for multiple reasons, but it is really interesting to speculate because we could have lived in a world where everybody was nose rubbing, you know? Sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of Buddhist Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents. With the code squared, simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. 
The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared, and to create each one, we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes, there's also a producer, a production team, and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see, no hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-the-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. I think that, you know, I certainly, it's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't, you know, I, I don't think, obviously none of us really think we're that old, but I, I remember as a postdoc, you know, or, or even a student, you know, perhaps 15 or 20 years ago in, in an all male environment, in a physics environment, and the men wouldn't know what, they would all shake hands with each other. And then they'd sort of look at me <laughs> and, and then one of them might shake my hand. And I would just, I just assumed, I saw their behavior. I assumed I was going to behave in the same way, but it was really odd for them. And I'd never thought about it as being a, a hierarchy thing that, didn't shake hands with a woman with a woman but the implication is that's because there's a status difference yeah and and some people like to argue that it, that there isn't and some people will argue ah no you know even the kiss on the hand is about respect and i, I i'm not buying it um at all it's a very strange it, i think yes there's a lot i can i think respect is not quite the right word <laughs> it's, it's it it's, it's I, I personally see the kiss on the hand as your delicate you're more you're more special and we're going to wrap you with you know with um bubble wrap and and what have you so that's why I don't buy it and and so you know I think and and one of the one of the really interesting things actually about the handshake in the U.S. is that there's this really reasonably strong argument that the Quakers had something to do with the prominence of the handshake in the U.S. because again it was kind of you know um trying to gone with the the British monarchy and this idea that we're all equal and what have you but again you you see that movement in the US of the handshake and and actually one of the interesting things is that Washington actually quite liked the the you know the kind of the the bowing and the what have you he liked that and and people criticized him for it they thought it was these these are flares that a president of a republic shouldn't have that's what you do with a king, not a president. Exactly, right. exactly. And, you know, and then, and then, of course, very, very quickly, the presidents afterwards dropped it and very quickly and, and they, they favoured the handshake. So, you know, this, again, this thing that we've completely taken for granted, we don't, we haven't really appreciated just how its very core has been seen as quite a revolutionary act. Well, how do we, I mean, this, this is something else in, in here, which is that as a, because I, I, you know, it seems that they this touch is important. Like you can greet someone from a distance and you can wave at them, but the handshake is it's about as far away as you can get from someone and still touch them in some ways. So why is touch important for greeting? So I would say touch is important for greeting chemo signals, as I said. I you know it's 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 the best way of transferring chemo signals, put it like that. And and if you think about it, the nose rub is really on the nose 
with what chemo signal you're literally just sniffing the other person's just, just like, yeah but touch in of itself is also important so we you know oh, i remember years back kind of first being exposed to this idea that touch with children was really important be, you know because the romanian orphanages and and orphans and how they weren't touched and the, and the psychological trauma that happened there and then obviously now we're at the point with with modern medicine where there's this real understanding that babies need to be touched you know preemies need to have human contact it really helps but actually this this carries on in where you know to us there's a term that's uh, that's been coined which is skin hunger which is the idea that people don't always get touched as much now you might say okay well that's that's a different level of touch that's not quite in a greeting but actually just in a greeting um that level of just even that bit of touch it it reduces the heart rate we know that um there are hormones that are released oxytocin a few other things which which again really interesting in terms of what they do to our bodies kind of calming us down they're very good for social bonding and beyond that even there are experiments to show that touch whether it's psychological or whether it's the touch itself and what it does to our hormones that's it's kind of more difficult to decipher is useful so there's and it's actually it's it's worth putting as a footnote that it's very difficult to do some of these experiments because they involve touching people so you've got to imagine there's an extra layer of kind of you know paperwork that you need to go through but um there's an experiment where um, a waiter just tapped people's shoulders and when he did there was there was a, a jump in in the tip that he received so it went from 11.5 to 15 percent for example there are experiments that uh, Professor Paul Zach does. I mean, you know, he is the touch guy. I think he spent $6,000 on massages and was able to show... Great research budget. I would love to put that on a research budget. <laughs> and, and he does comment on it and he, he points out that he never got any of those massages. But <laughs> but it's, that's interesting because he was able to show that participants that received a massage were more willing to trust absolute strangers with money. You know, it is wonderful. And again, you know, I'm sure, you know, uh, discerning kind of listeners will say, yeah, but there's a different level. You know, that's that's massage and it's not kind of just a brief touch. But I think the argument is that there's probably a gradient going on. And remember, I mean, there are cultures in this world that are doing absolutely fine without touch for greetings among strangers. So I think it's fair to see it as part of an important repertoire and that as a species, we've evolved to not need it in the same way that, you know, we would have done if we were still animals, kind of, you know, in the forests or in the plains, um, you know, non-human animals, should I say. But it, it's, I think it still serves a functional purpose. So let's then come to the, the current day and the lack of handshakes for a full year now. How... What have we lost then? I mean, obviously, most of us haven't really met any people. <laughs> so, but assuming we've met, uh, met, might have met a few new people, and we would normally have shaken their hands. What What do we lose? Like, how much does it matter whether or not we get this back? Basically, well, I think a lot of people are missing touch. I mean, there are some people who are really happy to be gone to be done with touch, but I do think they're a minority. I think most of us want touch back. We want to be able to hug people. We want to be able to, to touch people. We want proximity again. And I don't think it's so much what we we lose, because I think, you know, we'll probably be able to get by with, you know, some of us with some psychological scarring. I'm quite happy to say that I'm, I'm not happy about this. I don't think it's it's done my mental health much good not being able to touch people. But I think, you know, we would probably be OK-ish. 
but I think the thing is, it will come back. If history's taught us anything with regards to the handshake and pandemics and epidemics, it does come back. And I think that's probably the, the functionality overriding. I think a lot of what we're seeing with the handshake and its benefits is very subconscious. We're acutely unaware of most of it. Um, there are experiments that people have done where they've replaced one of the handshakers with a robot. I think it was for property sales. And they showed that it's just, even with a robot, it increased the confidence of the buyers and sellers. Just because you got to shake hands with, I think shaking hands with a robot would would. I thought it was weird. Freak me out. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's weird. But, I, but clearly, there's something psychologically comforting to us to see that handshake, to see that kind of. I, I'd argue it's almost like a book ending. Something you know, it's like that's the final. It's it's useful to have some kind of a gesture to, to do that. But I think. For me, that one of the biggest take home, what I would love the take home for people really is to read the book and think, we are animals. We are animals and we're just unaware of a lot of what's going on under the surface with us. And there's all this stuff that we rely on, it's useful to us, but it hasn't been articulated necessarily. So should um, should we think of the handshake as the equivalent of dogs going around sniffing each other's yep, bottoms? Yep, yep. I didn't even need you to get to the end of that one, Helen. Yep. <laughs> I think that's. I think that's. You know. I, you know. I, I. When I sit there, kind of watching animals, whether you know, I don't know, in the Serengeti or anywhere, there are certain things that you you know are going on, and you don't think anything of them. You're like, yeah, of course the animals are communicating chemically, and yet when it comes to words, we're like, no, that's that's horrid. And that's really fascinating because if you think about there's a fascinating term called uh, emotional contagion, and it's 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 used sometimes it's controversial, but it's used sometimes to argue you know certain things about crowds and you know whether it's kind of riots or happiness or whatever that that's partly chemical that there's kind of everybody's giving off certain chemicals, and you know I don't know I mean this is not in any way scientific, but I've definitely been in places where there's been a mood change and I haven't quite been able to put my finger on what on earth's happened. And you just kind of shrug your shoulder. You go, yeah, maybe it was chemical. <laughs> you started sweating in a, in a particularly uh, dramatic way. Well, let's get on to the symbolism of handshakes because there's all the practical stuff in terms of what physically touching someone does. But we know, you know, we see it on the television news again, not at the moment, but you, you spend a chapter in your book thinking, well, two chapters on the best and worst handshakes in history. And these are not, one of the things that's interesting about this is you highlight them for being important, not for the individuals involved, but because everybody else sees a message in the handshake. So let's start with the first one, which is, I, if I had to think of a handshake, this would probably be about the only one I could think of, um, which is Princess Diana and the AIDS patient. So tell us a little, a little bit about the symbolism of handshakes in that context. So, um at this time, you have to remember how stigmatized AIDS patients were. In fact, I actually dug up some headlines from the time from the from that time in the British press, and I mean they're not repeatable. They're really just awful headlines. And it was so bad that actually what a lot of people don't realise is that when she turned up to this kind of newly built specialised unit, the patients all hid because there were cameras and none of them wanted to be seen on camera because they were so angry and upset with the press. So just to be very, very clear, because it was it does feel like a long time ago and it's hard to remember how bad this was. But people saw there was a a prejudice against AIDS patients, which sort of saw them as being almost inhuman in having this thing that they could pass on to other people and make them inhuman as well. I mean, it was absolutely horrible. 
right yeah it really was and it was you know I mean I'm not I, you know I'm not even gonna entertain the headlines and, and repeat them but they were absolutely I mean really something and there was there was this general feeling not just that you could just it was like oh you could just touch a HIV patient and you'd get AIDS or sometimes it was even like just being in the same room as them you know you would get it it's almost like medieval superstition isn't it looking yeah. It was really, really incredible. I mean, you know, as I said, all these patients were hiding. They didn't want to come out. And eventually one of them, bless him, came out and, and agreed to do this more. I mean, he was dying. Like he knew he wasn't going to make it. And so it was just really heartwarming, just heartbreaking at the same time. But I, I argue that it's actually one of the most revolutionary gestures that a very privileged person has probably ever kind of done in recent history because so she she shook his hand and that was the picture that was then in she the shook his hand yeah and and he's an unnamed hiv patient we don't have his name and it was it was shocking you know because everyone thought oh my god aren't you afraid that you're gonna get aids and you're not wearing a glove and you know you're and uh, prince harry actually not too long ago was quoted as saying she knew exactly what she was doing this was very intentional on her side. So she was very keen to do this because she knew that someone had to take this step and she was prepared for it to be her. Yeah, she she knew that she had to lead by example. She was trying to pass on the message that you cannot get HIV from shaking hands. And, and she's even quoted as saying, um, you know, something to the effect of hugging them and, and shaking their hand is fine. Heaven knows they need it, you know. And it's... It, it, it really it's actually really interesting because of course Boris Johnson recently recently like a year ago was going around shaking hands and some of his defenders were saying ah but you know he was he was doing it in the same way that Princess Diana should and it was like no 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 Princess Diana was following the science Boris Johnson was not following the science there's a really big difference at the time we knew that you could not get AIDS or HIV from a handshake at the time you know a year ago we knew that you could get COVID from a handshake that's just you know it's a very different ball game but for me that is one of the most significant important handshakes of all time and just carrying on with the symbolism I mean when the, the actually if I if I actually count up the number of handshakes I do it is probably the case back you know in the before times <laughs> it's probably the case that most of them were on the sports pitch were on the badminton court actually in my case and that there is this other very common use of a handshake which is that you have a a battle of some sort not a it's it's often one it's not a battle to the death it's but it's a battle of some sort and then you shake hands afterwards as a mark of respect, tell us a little bit about that. Because I can't imagine. In fact, I was thinking about this the other day. If I go back to my badminton club, which might reopen in a few weeks, what do you, cause the thought of finishing a game or a match and not shaking their hand is, feels wrong. <laughs> why, why does that, why does it feel like that? Is it, is psychologically, there's, uh, so I, I also talk about three particular handshakes in business, in sport, and in politics. And the sport one is really interesting because you see haptic greetings at the, you've got to imagine. So you're basically going in quite violently sometimes. You're affected, it's like a mock war if you want to go there. You know, you're fighting each other. And for me, that handshake at the end is about sports personship, sportswomanship, sportsmanship. And it's it's also for me saying that was fake. That wasn't real, that wasn't a real fight. That was us just having a game, so to speak. And it's, you know, it's a clear line in the sand. Okay, now we move forward. And it is so important. You know, there are actually one or two sports handshakes that are quite famous. 
because of stuff like this, because they either go against or they go with what's seen as good sportsmanship. And, you know, it's, it's a, for me, it's really, it is a, I I do think about it a lot because I I do think that handshake is so we all know that that was just a game. It was just fake. We weren't really in battle. And that's the end of it. Because if you, you know, without any context, you look at some sports and they're quite violent. (laughs) You really are going to get it. So it's good to have kind of a clean kind of, you know, and it's worth also pointing out that in other cultures where maybe the handshake isn't common, still, there's always some kind of a gesture that ends a sport or begins a sport because it's this understanding we have to have to kind of bookmark it we have to make it clear what this is um of course we're obviously we're in the area of complete theory and these are just the kind of the theories that i'm most kind of attached to but um it's very hard to prove a lot of this <laughs> but it is it is it's interesting because it is intuitive if you took these things away we would somehow be less human but it makes them very hard they're so integrated you can see why they're hard to study well let's let's shift on to the particularly important in these if people are listening to this and considering their handshake future the realities of the bugs and the microbes now we have to sort of preface this i think by saying that we are all covered in lots of little organisms that aren't us and that's perfectly fine and they're all little single cells and they're living their lives specialized to our belly buttons or our ankles or wherever it is and they're perfectly fine and so they're there all the time now the handshake in the context of this there is a reason that in a pandemic shaking hands becomes less of a good idea tell us a little bit about the the bugs and where they go there's a lot of bugs (laughs) and um, they do you know they do get passed on through handshakes there has been a discussion for a long time in the medical world about handshakes and how maybe we should just drop the handshake full stop because it's seen as you know spreading a lot of stuff and people have looked at alternatives some people have suggested the fist bump some people have suggested a fist bump that's just a one knuckle fist bump which I just there's a point where you're like guys just give up (laughs) where you're gonna go but other other others have argued no we shouldn't be talking about banning the handshake or, or not having the handshake in medical setups instead we should talk about compliance washing our hands properly so look as a as a baseline i think it's like 150 i don't know I, I, there's all kinds of statistics about how many bacteria you will find on your palm on any given day but what's more alarming to me is statistics like there being around 20 around 20 percent of people globally do not wash their hands after a number two so that's the sort of thing that i, I mean you know I find very shocking. I'm wondering who these people are and hoping it isn't anybody I know. <laughs> but I, it, it's possible with something like that, that it is also worth remembering not everybody has access to water globally and soap and all the rest of it. But there was a, there, there've been a number of studies done. I mean, I'm, there's, there's this one that's kind of really well publicized uh, the evening standard, I think. I mean, it's, I, I don't know how robust the study itself was, but um, they basically sampled a whole pile of, pub kind of knickknack foods and what oh, have yeah. you better not to ask right <laughs> they found fecal fecal matter that's the thing not not just urine fecal matter on uh, quite a lot of it and you there's a point where you just think that's what what, <laughs> what what's your excuse <laughs> you know? at some point presumably there's a line because i mean you know in there are things that definitely move diseases around that and fecal matter would be one of them that we you know you don't want but presumably there's also some benefits to humans being in touch with each other and having a population of their their own little bugs, which is, you know, more or less in line with everybody else's around them. So presumably if you get rid of touch completely, you also 
you, you're not so you're not sharing the helpful bugs but Helen I think even if we don't think about them as helpful bugs even if they're actual just bugs I don't know how you're feeling but one of the things we're not really thinking about right now is so when we were growing up for example there were it was at the height of we're going to dettol everything we're going to make sure everything has you know antibacterial spray all over it and then maybe about 10 years ago there was the huh actually hold on a second we're starting to see some associations here between you know asthma allergies blah 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 maybe there's something going on maybe we need to actually not be so ocd about our kids being exposed to germs now obviously covid is an exceptional and particularly serious one but there is a there's a trade-off and there's a balancing act between people being exposed to other people's bad bugs and and health <laughs> you know there's and it's a really difficult because you do want people's immune systems to be more robust and it's going to be really interesting right now because I don't know how your kind of circle is doing in your friend group and what, what have you but there are elements of my friend group that are already a bit OCD and you know for a while we've been telling them look you know it's good to kind of get some stuff in your system you know make yourself a bit more robust and obviously there's feeling that they're vindicated right now and you're thinking okay well right now yeah we should all be doing this but if we carry on like this for, you know, God knows how many years and, and we're, we're avoiding each other and we're, you know, detolling everything down to the extreme. That comes with problems too. Yeah, there are health costs to that. So it's a really difficult one. The handshake really is a multifunctional thing. But just, you know, on the, there's no, there's no sort of, I mean, you talked about fist bumps and things, but there's, I was thinking there's no equivalent of the air kiss for handshake, really. You sort of wave at someone from a distance. There's the way that the Japanese do it you know there are some we don't have a natural simu you know sort of simulation of a handshake which is which is the you know because in the air kiss thing I didn't I was told quite late in life that it's so you don't disturb someone's makeup that wouldn't have occurred to me but anyway where is there an equivalent of the air kiss for the handshake in that before people have to decide you know what they're going to do about handshakes in the in the far distance in the next six months to a year what what is there an equivalent that's anywhere near as good so culturally, in parts of the Middle East and the Muslim world, putting the hand on the heart can be seen as, as the equivalent of a handshake. And it's certainly done between genders. So I, I used to practice that in, in my fundamentalist days. And um, I definitely reverted back to it on Zoom calls because it was quite convenient. <laughs> hand on the heart. Emmanuel Macron actually used it when he went to Beirut after the massive explosion there. So, but it's that's not one that comes very naturally, I don't think, to a Western audience. I don't think we have, you know, if anything, I'd argue that the namaste is probably, we're more familiar with it. But again, some of these are... This is where the hands are placed together. You, both of your palms touch each other and yeah. your hands are vertical and you said it, yeah. I mean, one of the things we can look at is some of the, some of the surveys and studies that were done pre-COVID in the medical field, when people were speaking to different patients about, you know, different greeting, because as I said, you know, this argument has been going on for a while, really for a while, since at least the 1920s, where different medics uh, and medical professionals have been trying to get people to stop shaking hands, especially in, in, in kind of hospitals. And there is a feeling by some people that, for example, the fist bump, fine, that, you know, it, it transfers less, but it's seen by some as being quite aggressive, you know, other things are, be, are seen as being quite alien to the culture that people come from. So that's one of the issues with the namaste, for example. It's seen as not being of this culture. And so particularly with the older generation, it's seen as harder for, for them to adopt. 
So I don't think we do have an equivalent. I do think the elbow bump will probably enter the repertoire of greetings. And I think what we'll probably see is something similar to what happens in parts of the Far East where um, in parts of the Far East pre-COVID, if you had a cold and you weren't wearing a face mask, you were just seen as being quite selfish, like quite bluntly. And people would sometimes comment, like if they saw you sneezing, like, why aren't you just wearing a face mask? Just stop being selfish. So I imagine the the elbow bump, if you've got a bit, of, you know, if you've got sniffles, there will be more of an understanding of I should probably put my elbow forward instead of my hand forward. Although that also involves your face getting relatively close. I mean, there's trade-offs in all of these, aren't there? So just very quickly, we're, we're, we're pretty much out of time, but just very briefly, when when the COVID risk has receded and it's that's a, a neutral thing, will you, will you be shaking people's hands again? I will be, yeah, I will be. And I think, you know, the evidence is, is um, that that will happen. There are so many wonderful stories of, kind of epidemics kind of taking over places around the world historically and and kind of the I mean they're not wonderful stories but they're they're very kind of interesting stories and people shunning each other and stopping the handshake sometimes even banning the handshake forming anti-handshake societies and wearing pins to symbolize that they're members of these anti-handshake societies and in all of those cases once those epidemics or pandemics ended people started shaking hands again so I think it's it's inbuilt. It's probably not going anywhere. If uncontacted tribes are shaking hands, I think we can probably assume that it's uh, it's going to be here for a while. Brilliant. Everyone can enjoy their uh, inner bonobo when when next they get an opportunity to shake hands. Thank you very much, Ella. It's been a brilliant discussion. There's so much to talk about. Um, Ella's book is The Handshake, A Griffing History, and I highly recommend you read it. I'm Helen Cherisky, and you've been listening to Intelligence Squared. Thanks for listening to Intelligence Squared. This episode was produced by Connor Boyle with editing from Tom Hall. We'd love to hear your feedback and what you think we should be talking about next. Send us an email or a voice note with your thoughts to podcasts at intelligencesquared.com. And if you'd like to hear more, attend some of our live events or peruse over 20 years of the back catalogue featuring some of the world's great minds, then head over to intelligencesquared.com.